Welcome to She Inspires Me. I'm your host, Caroline Bruni, founder of She Inspires Me and Organise Curate Design. Launched as a Facebook passion project back in 2017, She Inspires Me has been reborn to highlight the incredible women we all encounter in our everyday lives and how we can take inspiration from them. Thanks to our key sponsor, Organise Curate Design, I welcome you to listen and get inspired as we showcase these incredible women. So I have the pleasure of introducing Catherine. Now, it's funny because I say Catherine and I know (laughs) I sound like (laughs) you always say that you feel like you're in trouble because I (laughs) think with nicknames, but Catherine... Cookie Norman, (laughs) um, who is a very dear friend of mine, but also a woman of many talents. She is the soprano soloist of the Consort of Melbourne. She is the Senior Account Manager at Arts Centre Melbourne and also an instructor at the Venue Management School, which is a part of the Venue Management Association. Now, for any of you in the events industry, you will know that those Three things alone, let alone all the other things I'm sure we'll talk about today, are pretty incredible feats, pretty incredible resume. But Catherine slash Cookie, welcome. Thank Thank you for joining us on the She Inspires Me podcast episode number two. Right. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Been looking forward to it in isolation. Now, isolation, well, that's something that we will obviously dive into today, but we were just talking before we kind of jumped into recording mode about being an extrovert and then the changes of being an extrovert in COVID-19. So how is your extroverted self today? (laughs) Yes, well, you know, it's been, it's week 11 now working from home. Um, I'm I'm blessed and I feel very privileged that I have been able to continue working, but it's been a very, very quick pivot about what working from home means. I don't think I'd really worked more than one or two days from home before that. And, you know, in the first four weeks alone um, at the Art Centre was, you know, comedy festival and we had to cancel 250 plus performances in just that first four weeks. So making up a whole bunch of procedures on the fly from home, completely distanced from my team and my executive team, it was it was a real challenge. But I have to say, um, especially the first six weeks, we were just running, um, and that's been really quite you know quite amazing how much we have achieved. The last two weeks or so, I think, has been a bit bizarre because this outrageous extrovert has kind of gotten used to working from home and, you know, my only outing is, apart from taking the dogs for the walk, um, doing a a weekly shop once and, you know, I have to be a little bit careful about not getting too upset when people don't really obey social distancing rules and get too close to you in the supermarket and then the the sort of, um, I suppose, response to that. (laughs) I have to try and sort of make sure that I'm... um, maintaining social distancing for myself and for my own mental health, um, but also trying to respect, you know, normal social graces, I suppose. It's been an interesting challenge. Um, but, yeah, my the the concept of reintroduce, reintroduction to society is, is a slightly challenging one, which I never would have thought of. If you'd asked me eight weeks ago, would I be desperate to go back out and see people again? Of course, the answer would be yes. And, you would have been uh, first at the door. Yeah, exactly. With the megaphone. <laughs> 
slightly strange experience of having my 40th birthday in isolation. And um, I was I was obviously quite anxious leading up to that because I had a big party planned and was a bit disappointed about how my personal circumstances had to change. Um, and I'm very, very grateful that my partner, being as considerate as she is, actually about a week before had this brainchild idea of uh, reaching out to a whole bunch of my friends. Um, and thank you, Caroline, for your contribution. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Beck Barry, especially for coordinating all my venue management school friends. But, you know, she cut together a seven-minute video um, and there were over 100 of my friends that sang me happy birthday. And bizarrely, thinking about that, um, you know, I now have all these beautiful videos from my friends singing happy birthday, which I would never have had, had I, you know, coronavirus not happened. So I'm kind of oddly grateful in a way. I've got this lifelong present. Um, and as a singer, you know, it was quite... <laughs> was, it, was it terrible? <laughs> Will be terrible? <laughs> Very sweet, actually. Um, my vocal group actually sort of closed the video with this incredible nine-part harmony that was a, a happy birthday composition arrangement mashing up my one of my favourite Monteverdi operas. So thank you to Stephen Hodgson for that and their nine-part Zoom sort of um, overlaid edited recording. But was actually sort of the most sweet was actually seeing people that normally wouldn't sing or if at a birthday party there'd be 50 people there and they could hide up the back and not... <laughs> Um, so the, the willingness of people to put themselves, uh, you know, out of their comfort zone and record on video is actually more special than, than anything else, actually. And as I say, I, I treasure that I've got over a hundred people that have submitted recordings, which is very humbling and lovely. And my partner videoed me watching it and, uh, to suffice to say there were tears. There were lots of tears. <laughs> now, now you've just touched on so many things just then and I've mentally yes, in them no 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 I love it um so the first thing that you said that really resonated just for me and I guess for those of you who know who I am um well I'm hoping that if you've tuned into the podcast you kind of have a bit of an idea of who, of who I am as host um but being kind of ex events person um Think there's a part of me that will always be an events person um, my stomach dropped when you just when you mentioned how many events were cancelled um oh. how many you had on the books and i oh, that one hit me hard because um i i watched that occur and um and i watched so many people i love in the industry really significantly be affected and are still very significantly affected my husband being one of them um as he works in the brand activation space and event space. Um, so, wow, just thinking about that and knowing that we're all still in that. And I say we, and that's where I do jump back into, you know, event through and through in the sense of I've lived that life for so long. Um, there was another thing that you said um, as you were talking about the, you know, just people getting out of their comfort zones and sharing that video with you um, and that vulnerability piece and how even in the moment of COVID, even in these times of change that we're still in and we're continuing to be in because we're about to adapt to a new change as we start stepping out of our homes a bit more and whatever else, we're really vulnerable and we're having, to, and, but we're sharing the vulnerability with, with each other and we're trying new things like videoing ourselves and sending it off for a, a happy birthday video or whatever. Yeah. 
that vulnerability, I think, has been the piece that's really connected us um, just as human beings, but definitely in our communities. When you say 100 people or however many put that video together for you, I kind of think to myself, if I was organising a significant, like a milestone birthday, yeah, that would be lovely to have 100 people, but I'd never really get to kind of feel like I'd connected with 100 people or maybe have 100 people at a birthday party. So even the fact that there were that many people in place and that many people involved and you have this gift that you can cherish for a while, which is so lovely to hear. Um, so, yeah, so many silver linings in amongst all that, which is so lovely. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us back three years or about yeah. three years, um, which was when we last did our, or when we did our She Inspires Me interview for the Facebook page that I had created back way, way, way back when. And at the time, we didn't really know how significant that day was going to be. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we had um, planned to have lunch. Um, you knew that to interview you. We, I think we, was, we had like a two-hour lunch. So I don't, we're not doing a podcast today. We're going to try and keep it as brief as possible. But we, um, we chatted for hours and it was so lovely because I've obviously known you for quite some time. Um, there's a little bit of a backstory. I used to stalk Cookie, like in the, I didn't really stalk her, but there's this funny story of me kind of, we were at a conference together and it just happened to be every time the conference would go on break, everyone would go to the bathroom and then I just happened to be walking past her every time and I was like, this woman's going to think I'm stalking her. <laughs> so we have these, all these silly stories of all the times where we first met. But um, so we had this beautiful lunch and then that afternoon it was announced that marriage equality the law had passed and it was one of the things we had touched on in our time in our chat and whatever else and I guess with the old kind of format of she inspires me one of the things I had come to you and wanted to talk to you about at the time was about the um how I'm really inspired by your resilience and I had seen that I'd seen that as a friend. Um, I'd seen that kind of as someone knows that know, it feels like I know you well um, and someone that I'd seen kind of the vulnerability of that time and all of what you had, what you had done, what you had spoken up about um, and what you had passionately been such an advocate for. And then I felt super special that I had been with you on that day, all things. Um, but talk me through what the last three years has looked like maybe in regards to that particular subject and where where are we sitting now? Because me personally, as someone that obviously isn't fighting, has, wasn't fighting the fight, I was there as an advocate and I was there as an ally, um, but it was something where I kind of went, phew, thank goodness that's where we landed. And then I went on with my life and didn't really think of it. Um, What's happening in that space and what's happening in regards to how you're feeling about, you know, where we were three years ago and where we are now? There's, there's quite a lot. So, I, again, <laughs> I think we're going to really struggle to keep this to one um So what you don't know is, you know, obviously four or five hours after we had lunch, finished lunch, three or four hours, whatever, um, I was actually standing on the platform at Flinders Street Station and I got a notification on my phone from ABC News that it had actually gone through 
And I remember just plain as day, like I can still remember it, just the doors of the train opening and I was reading this notification and I genuinely didn't know what to do. I was so shocked and so delighted and so overwhelmed by, by what had happened. Um, and it was, it was almost this weird, because I hadn't been able to plan for it, you know, the announcement of the plebiscite results was the 15th of November. I knew exactly what it was. I was up at venue management school. I'd taken the flag behind me. Um, I'd bought champagne just in case. And then 10 minutes before it happened, I grabbed Beck Barry and was like, I need to sit with somebody. And she did. And I'm so delightfully, deliriously happy that I had Ian Love on one side and Beck Barry on the other. So I've been able to plan for that. Um, the, the, the not knowing and just being, being dropped really with, with this actual resolution was quite, it was quite discombobulating, actually. I remember just being so shocked and not, not able to prepare for that. Um, but, of course, I'm exceptionally delighted and it really, really is so amazing that it has come through. What's changed is quite interesting. Like, you know, I haven't renewed our wedding vows because we got married illegally in March 2015, having been engaged in 2012, assuming that something would happen by 2015. Um, (laughs) a little bit longer a couple more years um, and you know I think there's a lot of people that sort of bizarrely have felt like you know there's been this expectation that people that are in you know long-term relationships will now get married I was meant to be singing at the wedding of a dear friend over Easter and she'd been planning her wedding basically since marriage equality got through and of course they have had to cancel that Um, she was you know the week before my 40th um, so unfortunately, that still is not in train. But there's there's this. Um, I think the main positive really is just that it's becoming more normal. You know, there's no questions really about. Um, you know, can we even talk about the fact that we want to get married? Do we do we have to drag ourselves through that all the time? Do we have to try and explain what that is? Um, so that's a real positive. Um, but one thing that has semi-changed for me is that I think I have an awareness now around, you know, being gay and being lesbian, you know, whatever stereotypes, pigeonholes you might want to put yourself into. Um, it's kind of more accepted now. You know, that that sort of main work is done. Um, I'm, I'm actually wearing my trans ally badge today. Um, I bought that for Ida Hobbit, which is the 17th of May every year. <laughs> Um, and that was the 30th anniversary this year because it was only in 1990 that homosexuality was removed as a disease from the World Health Organization manual. And that's pretty terrifying to think about how recent that is. Mm. Um, so I've sort of turned my awareness a little bit more around things like trans. And that's actually something that I've um, been sort of reflecting on about what I've been focusing on in the last three years, especially. And, you know, uh, in the in the interest of transparency, I consider myself a fairly active part of this, you know, subsection of community. But there's still a lot that I don't know. And there's still a lot that is um, really... Um, unknown. I'm very grateful that my workplace actually ran a trans awareness um, training session and we had Trans Victoria come through and we had a whole day session about what it's like to be a trans person Um, and, you know, demystifying a whole bunch of of stuff out there and gender was a show that I went and saw you know I just performed in Taylor Mac I think when we when we last spoke and I'm so grateful to have 
um, exposure to those sorts of things. But it, it really does show to me how much, you know, I'm quite ignorant, actually, and I'm fine to admit that. And um, but but still want to go out and learn a lot more about it. And there's still so much to learn. I don't think you'll ever stop. Um, but it's been quite interesting sort of um, thinking about they're, they're probably the next sort of facet in the rainbow um, collection that I'm trying to make sure don't get left behind and there's still so much work to be done. Um, I actually, you know, through my workplace, again, they're very supportive of things like pronouns. So I actually make sure I have my pronoun on my signature. You know, it seems like a small thing to do, but it, it sort of um, provides such a positive, hopefully um, compassionate space for people to feel like that's a conversation that can be had or mm -hmm. not had or not required. I actually yeah. did have a very interesting conversation with a, um, with a, a gentleman colleague who um, uh, is not from my workplace but in our industry. And I feel, again, very privileged that I work in an arts organisation that maybe we're a lot further down the path and I forget when I um, reach mm. out but uh, I was wearing my pronoun badge and, uh, and and he asked why like why do I need to wear that surely I'm a woman isn't that obvious why why do I have to put it in his face about what my pronoun is and mm. you know I'm glad that we had the conversation I think it was a robust conversation um, and, you know, by the end of it, I think there'd been a little bit more awareness. There'd been a tiny little bit lifted about how important that is for some people in our society mm -hmm. to, to feel comfortable and have that conversation. Um, so that was quite interesting. That's, that's probably been a bit, of the, um, a bit of stuff that I've done over the last three years and will have to continue to do. <laughs> well, that's exactly it because it doesn't... It doesn't stop. We're supposed to keep learning and growing and um, becoming a lot more aware of the impact that we have on the world around us. Um, the voice that we want to ensure we give to everyone, especially um, the members of our society that are seen as minorities um, or are seen that don't that don't have the voice that some of us do and don't have the privilege that some of us do and. It is, it's really important. Language is so important. And um, it's interesting even as we started that this part of our conversation and I was saying, oh, I kind of just got on with life. And then I thought, well, wait, as you were talking, I was like, well, actually I did get on with life, but my understanding of things has changed quite considerably. And I think even at being a parent um, that uh, just the understanding of choice and the understanding that legally three years ago you know the government gave us or you know gave us the opportunity to say yes this is a choice that people can make and we we support that um and it was interesting uh, it was probably about two years ago now my eldest son had been having a chat to my sister on the phone and um he had just said to her oh you know are you seeing anyone at the moment or whatever i was like you know any guys in your life or girls like it's totally and and she sent me a text that afternoon and had said, "Good parenting, good that he just, he just gets it." And I and I didn't think anything of it. I was just like, "He's that, and that's great, and that's just." But it's things like that that we don't realise that are these small, tiny little steps towards the fact that we should all be equal and we should all have the right to choose to do and to be, and that's really important. So. Um, 
Yeah. And, I, and I also really commend the person for even asking the questions. You know, I think that dialogue, that open, respectful debate and dialogue is, is really important. I think um, it is important that people feel safe enough to ask questions. And I don't think, you know, as I said, like I, I sort of naively expect that, you know, everyone in society is probably a little bit further down the spectrum that they, than they might be. Mm. Um, but if they're not, but they're actually sort of heading in the right direction or being respectful and wanting to ask questions. I think that's really valuable too. I don't think, I don't think anyone should feel like they're being left behind or being pigeonholed or that it's unsafe to ask questions. So, so yeah, that's my sort of takeaway is it is really important to have those conversations and also be willing to change your own opinion as well. Mm. Like, um, you know, that's that's got to be the definition of open-mindedness is that you, you've actually got to be willing to change your own mind as well. Very much so. Now, I was going through my notes and the posts from three years ago because obviously what we've just chatted about was a really significant part of the day, um, just happened to be the day. Um, <laughs> we talked about so much other, so many other things. And so resilience, as I said, was the key kind of tone of our discussion. but. I remember you sharing some beautiful stories about your pa and also about just, um, you know, the experiences and the people in your life that have had mental health um, issues and challenges um, and then kind of how you've used your art mm -hmm. and creative outlet and um, I would assume that none of those things have gone away. And all of those things are still kind of in your life. But in the in the in the thinking about resilience and thinking about mental health also and how even the words mental health today versus where we were three years ago is just it's just part of our language now and being very conscious of um, you know, diagnosed mental health in the sense of um, you know things, disorders and things that are diagnosed and then just your day-to-day -day mental health and self-care and well-being. Um, has your approach to how you manage your day-to-day, -day, now I'm conscious that we're in COVID, so we're in a whole other world in itself. Yeah. Um, have there been any other ways that you've managed things and ensured resilience along the way? Well, it's interesting. Um, I mean, you've kind of touched on one of the ways that I, you know, kept myself in check was to sing. And I, and I knew that about myself. It was singing as my creative outlet it has been so important for me. And one of the real punch in the gut for, for COVID, other than being an outrageous extrovert, is um, that communal singing is 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 looking like one of the most shocking and along with, you know, performances in theatres, probably going to be one of the last things that comes back. So I've been, you know, jumping on webinars, you know, I, I probably need to stop doing a little bit of it from, again, for my own mental health because there's so much conflicting information out there and being told that it might be over a year until I can sing with people together again is, is really, really hard to hear. Mm -hmm. um, so, Quite frankly, I've done one singing project um, uh, that was effectively me recording myself in this room on my terrible phone. Um, and I submitted that to Nick Sester, who I didn't know before this, but was the lead singer of Jet. And mm -hmm. he's put together a, like a pub choir, all of musicians recording in isolation. 
And it made me actually really feel for everyone that did submit a video for my birthday because it was not long after my birthday. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'd been like, let's just sing in isolation and then we'll record it and then we'll overlay it and it'll be great. Aiden, <laughs> so easy. <laughs> so easy. <laughs> um, I'd almost not had anywhere near as dehumanising as an experience as actually recording in isolation with, you know, a click track in your ear. Where do you look? You've got to try and sing at the score, but you've got to try and, you know, maintain eye contact. Um, turns out the other thing I've learned about myself in coronavirus is that I do not have a poker face. I knew that already, but now I have to see it. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so submitting that recording was creatively interesting but it, it really it didn't do all the things that singing for me is which is sharing and making music together being together and responding to people you know if you've ever seen a recording of 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 me in concert I you know that poker face slash not poker face is um is a really lovely way for me to interact with my fellow singers audience members I do know that um, as an outrageous extrovert my performance practice is very very different to my rehearsal practice and that's been a, a key learning for myself over the last few years that um, I might sound like a dog in dress rehearsal but it's actually not until I have an audience in front of me that all of a sudden it all makes sense again mm -hmm. um, so the not singing thing is, is a really big challenge for me and it's interesting hearing you say that you know resilience is a key factor for me and quite frankly I'm having to work through how I'm going to have to pivot and adapt to that because um, it's it's a clearly massive part of my life that's missing um, you know thinking about what I do I organize events and I sing and so coronavirus is kind of the, the perfect, and I'm an outrageous extrovert, so coronavirus is kind of the perfect virus in a weird way because it's kind of, it's kind of blocked everything that I feel like I can do and contribute on this planet. That said, obviously, we're all finding ways to adapt and work. Um, I've recognised the importance of, you know, self-care, so I... I've taken up a bit more exercise than I probably would normally do. Um, <laughs> poor dogs are very exhausted. They now beg to go home. Um, so I hope nobody from RSPCA is listening. <laughs> you know, they're getting a lot of walks. Um, I've also taken up craft, you know, bizarrely. If you'd asked me eight, ten years ago, would I be the kind of person that... Um, what kind of craft? Knitting? Uh, knitting. So... So here is my partner's latest scarf. Oh, wow. It started not very long ago. That's impressive. I've got the stitch, though, so I need to figure out how to fix that. Okay. Um, and I also was given a sewing machine for my 40th birthday. So two ties. have taught me how to make bow ties. This is the first bow tie I made. So deliberately today. So the... <laughs> The concept that I can now make however many bow ties I want to wear, I might, you know, make a new bow tie for every day after we get back after coronavirus or something. Sounds like, like a good side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> well, interestingly, um, and it wasn't until I was telling somebody else this the other day that it was quite sweet, their response to this. I was like, I'm a fairly large, buxom lady who likes to wear, you know, clothes that are traditionally assigned as male clothes. And... Um, it's very, very hard to find them. So uh, I'm just going to make them. <laughs> and when I told them that, they were like, oh, be the change you like to see. It's like, it's true. <laughs> if I can't so find true. <laughs> if I can't find what I want, I'll just figure out and learn a way how to make it. 
Yeah. And 2020 was the year of new skills for me. So it's been quite fun just learning lots and lots and lots of new skills. Well, that's, so, it's so funny because one of my questions today was going to be, what have you learned about yourself during COVID? So you've obviously learned that you can do a range of things that you never tried or were pl never planning to really do. Is there anything else that you have found, found out about yourself, um, good or bad, <laughs> that you, um, you know, that surprised you? Well, as I say, you know, mostly it's things that I knew. It's things that, you know, I'm an outrageous extrovert, as I've said about 50 times already, but you know, <laughs> I'm a very physical person too. So, mm. you know, I love hugging people. And that's, mm. you know, the fact that that's been ripped away is actually really challenging. I, um, you know, since the restrictions have been lifted, we've been going and visiting my partner's mum because my parents are stuck overseas. Long story. That's, a not, that's another whole <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. That is a whole other podcast. Um, but, you know, even going over to see Amy's mum, you know, she's 70 plus. We've all made a family decision that we don't want to put her at risk. So we go to her house, but we don't hug her and we maintain, you know, a distance. And that's that's really bizarre. And so I'm, I'm, again, just trying to figure out how I'm going to get used to not hugging people. And that's that, yes, that's a big thing for me. Even some of my clients, you know, one client visit I had once, the first time I met this gentleman, um, we got to the end of the site visit and we hugged and he's like, I'm sorry, I don't normally do that. And I'm like, oh, I don't normally do that either. But it's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I um, have had that experience a bit in the last week or so. Um, I've had one meeting with a client um, and we normally hug and I, and I felt it just feels really rude. It feels really disconnected and really rude or inconsiderate. There's so many, so many emotions go through my mind when I go to greet someone and I can't. And especially in addition to the fact that that's just how we share and great people, it, it yeah. just feels we're craving that human interaction as yeah. well. But when you haven't seen someone for months and months, you want to have them because you've missed them and you want to show them. And, yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and I think that it's one thing you keep going back to is, um, is being an, a giant extrovert. <laughs> um, but how we... How are you feeling about going back into the world? Um, like, are there things, obviously from a health point of view, there are things that are put in place or that we've been recommended to do, like not hugging and all of that sort of stuff. Are there, are you thinking that there'll be decisions that you make in regards to your time, in regards to how you, you know, just how you live your life? Are there any learnings that you've had that you think, yeah, moving forward, once I step out of my house or over the next 12 months or whatever else. Are there any kind of big learnings that you've had over the last few months that, or even prior to COVID that you think it's time to change? <laughs> um, well, sort of during COVID, we've been pretty risk averse. I mean, I'm a fairly risk averse person anyway. Um, but we, you know, our whole regime is that we have indoor clothes and we have outdoor clothes. So, um, you know, I get changed and then we're, we're, we've been very um 
very strict with our personal hygiene. Not that I wasn't before, but certainly it's, again, one of these things that's kind of entered the psyche now of, you know, it's kind of like phone, keys, cards. I don't take my wallet anymore because I just need a card um, and sterilizer. You know, that's the, like the fourth thing that, that comes out of the house with you, which is a bit strange. Um, changing, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I am a little bit anxious about mass gatherings. So like, obviously my job is, is coordinating mass gatherings and how that happens. And, you know, early research into if we had to do socially distance, the current sort of socially distance thing in theatres, we'd have less than 10% capacity. So that's, you know, until that sort of changes, there's, there's not really a strong opportunity. And I've, you know, have reached out to a lot of venue colleagues and we've been sharing a lot of information around that. So it's, it is a challenge to think about the fact that something that is so critical to your core is now sort of not really available in society for the for the time being. Um, we are in the very early days of figuring out, you know, what the next phases might look like. But I literally only started receiving emails about that yesterday, mm. um, and so there's certainly not anything I have even digested enough to to process, let alone talk about. Yeah. Um, so it is it is challenging. I think it's going to take me. Me personally, you know, bizarrely quite a long time. You know, I, I've studied a little bit about brain chemistry and habits and neuroplasticity. Of course um, you have, because you're a scientist. And that was the other thing that I didn't mention in your very, I, I kept it really short and sweet, but super smart and super talented. Cause well, I mean, I did a science degree. I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm super smart, but sure. <laughs> we'll go with it. <laughs> Diverse interests, let's go with that. Mm. Um, and, you know, habits take sort of three weeks to form. And I think it's fairly fairly safe to say that, you know, 11 weeks into lockdown, you know, our brains have, have changed. Uh, and I can certainly say that hand on heart that, um, yes, this outrageous extrovert is anxious about spending time with people again. And primarily that's because I also, the, the, the panic of... Um, infecting anyone or just how horrible I would feel as a result of that. You know, my dad, um, you know, he is stuck in the UK, separate, long, boring, boring story. But even as, you know, the data was starting to come about this, out about this, you know, he's over 70, you know, he's had a, a long list of health problems in the past. He is more out, outrageously extroverted than me. So, you know, being told that he can't interact with people I thought would be a problem for him. Um, so yeah, it's pretty it's pretty challenging, um, and now having to try and figure out a new family way of interacting with them overseas, and technology is not my mother's strong point. So you know that's been that's been a challenge. <laughs> um, I don't really know that I answered your question. Other than no, 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 that that's fine. Um, I think it's really important just to kind of as you even as you talk through that that anxiousness and unknown is, is really apparent and I think that's true I I personally have been feeling exactly the same way I have a child that's going back to school tomorrow and I'm not really sure how I feel like don't get me wrong you can get out of the house because I'm really sick of remote learning but at the same time within about a minute of being gone I'm not sure how I feel about that that mm. we, we are adjusting every single day and um, yeah. we had a, a friend over on the my eldest son had a friend over and a their parent over on the weekend and they were over for maybe four hours and I was sitting chatting to this woman for 
four hours and I was exhausted by the end of it. And I could go a whole day and just chat all day. And then I was like, why am I so tired? But just interaction of physically being with someone and having, holding a conversation for that long and those things that we're just not used to anymore. Um, So it's very, very interesting times. Now, one of the questions that I love um, because it means that I can learn about new people as well is who, who are you looking at at the moment? Who are you inspired by? Who are you just loving this stuff? And um, we obviously live in the world where we get to tap into people if they share on social media and those sorts of things. We get to tap into so many people's lives. And especially now with COVID, everyone's seen the inside of everyone's lounge rooms or space. <laughs> Or whatever because we're all on zoom calls um, yeah. is there anyone that you're either um really inspired by at the moment um or is there anyone that you just kind of like man this is so fascinating to watch <laughs> um there's there's a couple people and i you know again quite conscious of the time i i might try and sort of go through them quite quickly i have just been um jotting down a few names as you've been talking um the the first one to me is Beck Barry from Venue Management School. And, um, you know, on literally day one of the lockdown, I got a phone call from Beck. And um, and I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this. Um, she was, you know, being a very caring, compassionate HR person, but extremely close friend. Um, she knew how hard this was going to be for me. And, you know, I remember I'd only spoken to my director the day before. We literally only found out on the Sunday that the Art Centre was going to be closed. Um, and I'd actually been dealing with Art Centre Melbourne's response to coronavirus since January because we um, had Chinese New Year and the MSO had to um, change quite a lot of content because their conductor got stuck in China. And that was kind of um, the first kickoff for me. So I think it's been over 110 days actually already now that I've been dealing with coronavirus. Anyway, so first day I was trying to set up my laptop. Thankfully, the, the day on Thursday we had Benny management drinks um, and I'd taken Friday off to host a friend. And I was like, I'm just going to take my laptop home because it's feeling like it's all changing pretty quickly. I don't know what's going to happen, but preemptively went, I'm going to take my laptop, which I'm very grateful for trying to set up in our dining room my partner works from home all the time so you know it was quite interesting now trying to figure out what working from home was going to be like for both of us and i'm sure every household around the the country and in fact the world had the same challenge and so i was just sitting there and i'm quite chatty she's not so i'm just gonna help you out with some ground rules she's like you're entering her workspace you need to respect her and we tried for one day of me sitting at the dining room table with her and it was very clear that that was not going to work and might actually end our marriage so (laughs) um, I've relocated to our second spare bedroom and I'm very grateful that I have a door that I can close and she can stay on in the dining room but having Beck just kind of check in on me give me a few tips, particularly about marriage advice, was um, <laughs> was really, really touching. She also did coordinate a bunch of venue management school videos um, for my 40th inclusion, which was amazing. She herself contributed five, which was hilarious. 
lots of costume changes. It was just very, very funny. Um, but she's been checking in on me all throughout, which is very, very sweet. She's even sent me an old-fashioned letter, you know, and a, and a cute little book because she's Beck Barry. Um, so seeing people still be very caring and compassionate and checking in on people, even if it's in this format, has been outstanding. Um, Another one on my list was, um, and there is a bit of a list, so I'll try and keep going a little bit faster than Beck. Um, Helen Fairclo, again, another HR person that I've been privileged enough to meet through uh, Benny Management School. Um, I certainly didn't know her, I don't think, when, when we last had a chat, but um, she's now the HR lecturer and also has been the acting chief operating officer for Melbourne Convention Exhibition Centre. And again, she's just been an absolute touchstone for me throughout Benny Management School, um, checking in, we've made a, a really cute, amazing network of Melbourne venue people. I was quite keen for my HR department to know a little bit more about venue management school and I basically asked her to come and have a chat to them. And she said, that's fine, but I'm not going to do it for free. How about you come down and you speak to my staff and you talk about female leadership, diversity and inclusion. And uh, they also got a free little um, performance, actually, of the Hildegard von Bingen song, um, which is over a 1,000 years old and kind of cool. Um, so we did this amazing sort of swap. And, and that was actually, again, probably only a week or two before everything closed down. Um, but it's been lovely having that HR, female leadership, compassionate, caring kind of personality in my, in my, in my sphere. Mm. Um, on the subject of Hildegard von Bingen, uh, I was meant to be the soloist that was performing at the Women in Music Festival this year. Uh, it started last year. I opened the, the festival. It's been run by Monica Curo, who's a violinist for Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. She's also the artistic director of the Port Ferry Spring Music Festival, which mm -hmm. I've been seeing quite a lot for over the last 20 years, actually. So she's another one on my... She inspires me. She's, um, she's very interesting. <laughs> She's a quirky personality. I think she'd probably be fine with me saying that, but um, <laughs> she's an absolute go-getter. I don't know how she manages to fit everything into her life that she does. And unfortunately, she's one of those casual um, freelance musicians for the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra that's been so devastated by coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And I do hope that that is a significant conversation that happens in the arts industry about um, how we're treating our casual and freelance employees because I think that needs to, I think that absolutely needs to change. I don't have the answers to it, but it needs to be a very, very robust conversation in our industry. Um, you're next on my list for somebody. Oh, that, that go get you. It. If you want to do something or see something, then, then go out and do it. And, um, you know, that's pretty amazing and, and very inspiring in and of itself. So thank you. I'm going to keep going. There's a bit of a list. Um, Martha Dusseldorp, who, again, is an actress that I didn't know about when we first met, but I then got to see her in Janet King and, um, and have subsequently, I think, watched everything that she's ever done. Not in a crazy stalker kind of way. <laughs> Not my kind of way. It just... No. Personal way. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, and, and she was actually performing for Melbourne Theatre Company, so in Doll's House too. So we went and saw that and it happened to be one of the forum nights. So she did a really, really good interview afterwards. And I just really like the approach that she takes to advocacy. Um, she's a, you know, straight ally. Um, but she's, you know, she does really, really interesting roles for women. And without getting too sort of... Um, horny about this whole situation. She also provides a very sort of sex positive space for women. Um, a lot of the roles that she plays um, 
is that sort of character. And, you know, Janet King happens to be a lesbian character in a, you know, mainstream TV show. It's not... It's not that sort of side project of or, you know, very queer kind of pigeonholed mm. cinema. It's actually, it's just a side story to the fact mm. that she's this main character. And I quite like that because, again, it just sort of normalises a lot of those conversations. But she's also, yeah, very sort of sex positive in the sense of, I can't really think of, apart from Outlander, that many female characters that it's, it's very... Um, empowering and positive for them and that sex is is a good thing as opposed to most of the television stuff that I've watched all throughout my life which is kind of you know not particularly sex positive for women quite frankly Mm. so that's that's an actress that I've really respected for what she's done um Wade Kelly who is a gentleman who taught me how to make bow ties and he's a bit of a go-getter you know he again just if he wants to do something he just goes out and does it And um, he's a Canadian uh, who's just finished his PhD. He's out here. And um, we invited them over for Christmas last year as orphans because they didn't have family. And I've lived overseas over Christmas and I know how hard that can be. And he was in the planning for it. He came sort of leading up to Christmas. He was like, what do you want for your Christmas present? I was like, I don't want anything from you. But 2020 is kind of like my year of skills. So if you're willing to teach me how to make a bow tie... um, that would be awesome. So we organised a bow tie date and, and now I have the skills to make all my bow ties and he's just a, a really outrageous extroverted go-getter who um, has also been struggling in isolation, so sending Wade love. Um, and I just quite like that he challenges the norm. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a guy that loves crocheting and loves making bow ties and, you know, he's very, um, yeah, positive about diversity in, in lots of different ways. Um, Stephen Hodgson, who is my spare wife, um, <laughs> you know. I love that you speaking, just have all these extra, extra yeah, wives. Exactly. The purpose. <laughs> Challenge the norm. Um, he's also the artistic director of my vocal group. He's the head of publishing at the Australian Music Examinations Board. You know, he's incredibly smart, very compassionate, but he's, he's, he's led my vocal group so well. And one of the things that has been really lovely is um, his emphasis on partnerships and inclusion so we you know we do a lot of incredible collaborations with people like um monica curo and um miranda hill who runs uh, homophonic which is an lgbt kind of um, program and we in fact had 10 concerts planned across victoria this year which unfortunately we got to deliver the first five most of which were in melbourne and geelong um, but the rest of all had to be deferred, which is really, it's, it's a bit gutting. We'll, we'll do them again. Um, uh, so his ethos around collaboration, and I'm going to lead on to my last one, which is um, very shortly, I've got a couple more to go, Jacinta Ardern. I think her leadership throughout this entire um, uh, pandemic has been outstanding, but, you know, she's proved it time and time and time and time mm. again when you think about the um, the mass shootings that happened in New Zealand just over a year ago and her her philosophy around things like I shall not speak his name, nobody knows his name as opposed mm-hmm. to things like, you know, Columbine and all that sort of stuff. Like her, her complete, um, completely new age kind of leadership is just outstanding. And, you know, I've been doing a bit of trying to post some COVID um, pick-me-ups or positive things that have been coming out and uh, another one was you know it's all very well and good to look to a Jacinta Ardern but she's not the only one you know what we need to be 
doing is is supporting the Jacinta Ardern's uh, locally and of the future. And I think that's that's actually a beautiful moral to take away from all of this as well. There's only two more to go, I promise. Um, <laughs> it's fine. I actually love this because I'm going to go back over this now. Look at all these incredible people I get to look up and get to kind of fan over, which is so, so cool. Uh, one thing I did forget to mention, actually, on Stevens, one of the things I, I put down was the inclusion piece. We, again, got commissioned to perform for the Women in Music Festival and it was quite sweet hearing him talk about how maybe initially awkward he was as a male performer being asked to perform in a in a female music festival. And, again, thinking about allies in lots of different ways, it was a really beautiful conversation that he had with Caroline Neeling, who is a lady that I've met through the Women in Music Festival, who's also amazing. Um, and it was really beautiful hearing her just say, no, women, you know, can't do this in isolation. We actually need male allies. And I think that's been a really strong theme, thinking about my pa and the fact that he was a feminist. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, again, just, you know, supporting the gentleman that asked me the questions about the pronouns, you know. I don't think, you know, feminism needs to be just women, obviously. Mm -hmm. And, that, you know, having those, having those allies in lots of different places is, is really, really important. Um, my second last person is Christy Biber, who is a lovely woman that sings next to me in the Consort of Melbourne. She also has the fairly illustrious title of, of one of my wives. She's the Consort wife. Um, I, I have less than a handful, by the way. But, you know. <laughs> um, there's the real one. There's um, <laughs> Steve, who was the first spare. There's Christy, who's my consort. There's Amy Moore, who's, a, again, a senior on, on tour with me. And now my recent addition is Rob, who is Steve's partner. But <laughs> um, Christy is also a music therapist. Um, she is an absolute go-getter. She's so caring and compassionate, bends over backwards to do so many things for so many people. And I'm extraordinarily privileged to when we do get to sing together to get to spend so much time with such a positive amazing intelligent compassionate insightful woman um i'm just person i'm just so i'm so lucky um yeah and my final one is actually um, again, someone who I'd met but hadn't really worked very strongly with when we first, uh, well, when we last spoke in 2017. And her name is Deborah Cheatham. And we've, through consorts collaborations, now done the world premiere, the chamber premiere of her work, Umarilla, which is a war requiem for peace. Deborah is an Indigenous composer and performer. And the amount of awareness that I've, I've, I've started, well, at least I'm on the very beginning of my journey, um, and working with Deborah and her ethos and her compassion and um, around Indigenous history, rights, everything is quite genuinely outstanding. And again, she's one of those, those people that really fought really hard for the Consort of Melbourne to be involved in Umarilla. There's obviously, and I totally agree with this, a lot of, um, you know, Indigenous um, emphasis. So things like Bangara, you have to have an Indigenous background to be able to perform for Bangara. Um, whereas Deborah was like, we actually need, we, we can't just be, you know, the Indigenous people over there fighting by ourselves. We actually need to bring the positive people on this journey. And I've certainly felt that through the marriage equality campaign as well. And it's about making those connections and finding those people that are, you know, are wanting to reach out, learn, 
and and sort of come on that journey. And Deborah's ethos has been such an important um, part of my life, really. And and it wasn't really until I was kind of reflecting on when did we last chat, and this my whole Deborah Cheatham experience has has been so new, but so important. Um, and again, I feel very privileged to call her a friend, um, to get to work with her. Um, she's in such high demand now, um, and quite rightly so. Her partner, Tony, is lovely, and, you know, she's the woman behind the woman. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, definitely one of the most inspiring people I've ever had the um the opportunity to meet and uh, again thinking back to what's changed in the last three years just to circle back a little bit I obviously was the international guest lecturer at the American <laughs> Feeney Management School yeah I saw um, that kind of almost exactly a year ago now yeah. and, um, and that was such an amazing experience I'm so grateful that I got to do it and I feel so um, devastated for them obviously now mm. um, that, that clearly um, is is not going to be able to go ahead but at least I'm assuming it's not going ahead. Um, but one of the things that I had to talk about was, um, you know, Stephen McKenzie. He, he actually um, interviewed me and asked me who inspired me and Deborah was, you know, top of my list for that. And I had to give a bit of context and I talked about, you know, she's a stolen generation, she's a lesbian, um, you know, she's she's overcome so many things and is so fiercely... Um, passionate about them um, but yeah she's also does it in such an inclusive welcoming way mm-hmm. um, uh, and I was trying to sort of explain what the stolen generation was and I was sitting in a room there were 400 delegates at this Fenny management school and and they'd never heard about Australia's sort of atrocities and terrible history and quite frankly neither had I when I'd grown up at school mm-hmm. Um, so it's a pretty terrifying um, recent discovery about the the Umarella is describes the um, convincing grounds um, book by Bruce Pascoe, um, and it's basically a time in our history where the Victorian governor at the time said to the white pastoralists, "Go out and convince the black people to give you the, your land, and if you can't mm-hmm. convince them, just kill them." Um, and the good Dichamara people uh, who were just outside Port Ferry, that, that whole area of Victoria, which is why it's so significant that we performed it on country, the first mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. premiere. Um, there were only 77 people left from several thousand and they were shepherded to a um, um, particular about the language that she has to try and use and, and be respectful. but. It's not actually our history necessarily, but I think the more that people talk about it, it is really, really important. So, you know, it was almost the perfect crime. There are only 77 people left of this entire nation. Um, And so this piece of work is really, really important to breathe life into that, Mm. to explain our history to people like me. Um, And, you know, trying to explain even to 400 Americans that, you know, this terrible part of our history is 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 certainly emerging and um, that we have to talk about it so that we can move on. Um, So, yes, trying to explain the stolen generation to 400 Americans was a was a challenging task. (laughs) Very much so. And it's it's so interesting when there's this lovely theme along all of the people that you've mentioned, Um, there's lots of beautiful kind of synergies in obviously your connection to them um, 
and what you both bring out in each other or what you both take from the relationships that you've just mentioned. Um, and I guess for me to go back to what we talked about, what we talked about at the beginning of today and, and three years ago and so on, um, is that, you know, the stories matter. We all need to make sure we've got a voice. We need to support and be allies to the people that don't have a voice or don't have the platform or the privilege to share their stories. And um, once again, it's about fighting and um, supporting and doing what's right, even when it's hard. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's definitely something that I remember three years ago kind of watching you do that and going, holy crap, man, that must be hard. And it was emotional enough for all of us allies, let alone anyone that was living and breathing in and experiencing it firsthand. Um, and even as you talk about our Indigenous um, First, you know, First Nations people and all their stories and all the things like as we uncover more and more, um, and in these incredibly inspiring people, I need to listen to this back to myself and write down on this. We'll put all of that list of people in the show notes of today. So um, that way, if anyone's going, hey, I really want to check out this person or whatever else, I'll make sure that we get the full list of where we can find everyone. Um, even the Beck Barrys, who are, you know, our day-to-day -day people, um, you know, not not probably not probably going to find her on a on a Google listing on a public listing, but she's still pretty incredible. And I definitely think that anyone that can should meet her. Um, but thank you for sharing that. That was just, I, for me, what I love about these conversations and the whole purpose of this podcast is we underestimate the importance of the people in our community and the importance of the people that we have access to in our day-to-day -day lives. And You've just mentioned some people in an industry uh, or just some people that I have never heard of, may never meet, um, but they are doing wonderful things. And even if they're only doing wonderful things in the space that you're in or in the interactions you've had with them, they're still wonderful things. And um, it's, it's those moments that I think are really important as we continue to grow and develop to, as a society and as women, um, how we continue to support each other. So... Thank you so much for sharing all of that and for sharing your story with me again um, as even as someone who's a friend of yours who um, has known you for, I don't even know how long. I've not, I actually don't know how long we've known each other for. I've never done the maths on that one. But um, even I, I can almost pinpoint it to the day actually. Uh, <laughs> just go back to when I stalked you in the toilets. Basically. <laughs> uh, Congress 2015, I think it was. <laughs> that's crazy, it's crazy. Yeah. like that feels like it was forever ago that it wasn't really that long ago but thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast um Absolutely. As i will make sure that i put everything in the show notes um we cannot wait to see you back on stage doing what we love and i know it will come and i know we will all find a way of going back to doing the things that we love and i really can't wait for that so thank you so much absolute pleasure thank you <laughs> thank you for joining us today and being a part of this incredible community 
Remember to hit subscribe and join us in our next episode to be inspired by more exceptional women.